everyone. Welcome back to Hair of the Werewolf. I'm Lily, and I'm here with Chase. What's up? And we are a horror paranormal podcast that likes to tell each other scary, true scary stories from all over the world, all the while we have some drinks. And today, I am having some Tubac Chuck Chardonnay, I think, right? Like that's well, what but that's what you're having now. You've already been <laughs> saucing for a couple hours. Uh, oh, you've been drinking whiskey, Cokes. I mean, just okay. So it's been like I've had three, and one was a double, and one was just that's four. <laughs> You've had four drinks because we just came back from a benefits charity quiz. It's like a pub quiz, but mm-hmm. we're in a pub, and we are really riding high because we actually got first place. We fucking won! Like, and okay, so here's the thing: we won one. Okay, sure, everyone's always excited about that, but. It also won us a table to a pump quiz in the future that is the prize for a thousand dollars, which like I'm a like, really big event. like a really big event, which I didn't even anticipate. I had no idea what I was walking into, but we went into this pub quiz. But here we are. But it, to be fair, it's all just for the charity of it because you have to pay to be into these pub quizzes, and that's what it's for. Yeah, exactly. we're just excited that we won, which is super cool. And I'm also excited because the winning question, the big question at the end that was worth the most points, was an obscure James Bond question, and I knew the answer because I'm a James Bond fanatic. Yeah, I was going to say, even I knew the answer, and it's because you made me watch the documentary. Otherwise, yeah. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have known. They pretty much asked who was the one guy who played James Bond for only one movie. Yeah, the one-hit wonder, yeah. Bond. Yeah, which if you guys are wondering, is George Lazenby <laughs> or Lazenby? I know you guys were at the edge of your seat for that one, so... There's like two people who like James Bond who already know the answer <laughs> listing. They're like, I it's like, that. duh, I would have won that know. too, idiot. And everyone else is like, James Bond is stupid. It's for <laughs> stupid boys. Stupid boys. Oh my God. So that's not the only exciting thing going on. Just a few days ago, you and me started a puzzle. Oh my God, yes. We used to do puzzles all the time, but it's been a minute. And you got me a puzzle for my birthday, which was sold on Mondo, which does like limited run special stuff and this one was alien themed like yeah. the but like 19- cute little alien uh, like uh, the animation is cutesy well but it's it's themed after the 1979 ridley scott horror film alien but it's interpreted super cute yeah by a company called 100 soft so it's kind of like kind of looks like the funko pop stuff and it's it's actually a really cute adorable puzzle yeah. we should probably put a picture of it on when we finish it, we're going to post a picture. Yeah, right on, now, it's like a hot mess. But. Yeah, it's only like 25% done. <laughs> and so we need to keep working on it, put a horror movie in the background and finish it. But I love puzzles. Yeah. I grew up doing them with my family. And being able to do that with my wife is like one of my favorite things Yay. in the world. I never grew up doing them. But I'm excited to do it now. And we actually have a couple puzzles to get through. Oh my gosh, I know. So we might have to do some back-to-back. We actually have some really cool puzzles where you don't see, you don't know what the <gasps> oh, end yeah. picture is. And it's a mystery. And so you read this prompt that gives you, like, tells you this murder happened. And you have to solve the puzzle blind. And solving <laughs> the puzzle blind will actually help you solve the mystery, too, because it has all the clues The clues it. are in it. And so as you go along, you're starting to see the bigger picture. Yes, yeah, so that's going to take yeah. forever. But yeah. it still sounds like a fun thing to do. So <laughs> we'll, we'll try. All right. So I also want to mention that next episode, not this episode, but next episode, we're going to talk about the brand new movie, Prey, that just came out. Uh, we actually saw it last week, but we want to give people more time to watch it because it was it's so recent. Yeah, because we want to talk about it. And without 
it's too many spoilers, perhaps. Yeah, and we're gonna yeah we're gonna try to keep the spoilers to an absolute minimum, but you know some can still come out. So we're gonna talk about that next week after our stories. If you guys want to watch it, it is currently streaming on Hulu. It's like a Hulu original movie. So if you already have Hulu, it's free. Yeah. If you don't have Hulu, find someone who does and either borrow their account or go over to their house and watch it. <laughs> That's illegal. <laughs> well, but if you go over to their house and watch it, it's not. Okay, true. Yeah. So anyway, that'll be next week. And we'll prep you for it again in that episode, so no worries. But I do think we need to jump into our stories because they're they're, they're good late today. They're, they're beefy. Wanna, we can't beat around the bush. We got to jump no. into the fear. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And Lily's excited about hers. I'm super excited about mine. So hit me. Okay, here we go. So, so last episode I did a a story on the Clark Air Base Hospital in the Philippines, and you for you sourced a. Ghost Hunters International, right? That was the name That's of the show? That's the Ghost Hunters International, yeah. And she made me watch it, <laughs> uh, which we watched a couple days ago. I guess made you is aptly yeah. said. Um, and I got to say, some of the stuff was definitely creepier than I pictured, and some stuff wasn't as creepy as I pictured, so sure. it, was, it was an interesting mix. Interesting. Oh, I wonder. All right. Well, I recommend it to anyone anyway. So I don't know if you remember this, but I... Also mentioned that there may be some type of witches or creatures that roam the area. So I took a closer look. Okay, that does sound familiar. Yeah, I couldn't pronounce the words at the time because I did a horrible job of even looking that up. Sure. But what I did find out is that the Philippines is just as insane with cryptids as any other place. Like their ghost schools, demons, and witch lore is out of this world. And I'm super excited. It's pretty deep and complicated. I love it. Yeah. And... The- Although there were so many to choose from, I ultimately landed on the Mononongal. The Mononongal. 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 It it sounds like a monster that if you kiss it, you get tired for two months. Yeah. (laughs) I have mono. (laughs) (laughs) So this creature is a type of Aswang, which is the Filipino word for witch, demon, or ghoul. Could you spell that? So I'm... Aswang. So it's A-S-W-A-N-G. Okay. Okay. Yeah. There are many different subcategories of an Aswang, which include the blood-sucking vampire, mm. man-eating were-dog, mm. evil eye witch, carry-on-eating ghoul, and the creature we're going to be talking about today is the self-segmenting viscera sucker known as a mononongal. I'm down with it. Some of those other ones sounded, uh, you know, like perfectly in line with, you know, vampires, werewolves, which is, yeah. I don't know what the carry-on-eating monster was the carrion eating ghoul i'm guessing it's more like zombie oh i guess that makes sense eating dead things because yeah yeah, okay 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 yeah my i'm my good parallels to a lot of different cryptids i'm more familiar with yeah um often as portrayed as a woman the mononongal has the ability to sever her upper torso from her lower torso Mm. then sprout out wings and fly into the night I can't think of anything this I can't, is close I, to. I know. I'm like, uh, what? Uh, so the torso detachment ability is probably its most unique feature that distinguishes her from other Aswangs. So she is aptly called the Mananongal because it means to remove or to separate in Filipino. Okay. Yeah. Uh, her ability to separate her body is into also serves as a purpose to become much more lightweight, allowing her to lift herself with her <laughs> bat-like wings into the air. So my legs are holding me down. No, that big booty needs to go. <laughs> <laughs> She's got to get rid of that dump truck. Ass. Yeah, exactly. Just get it out of here. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Oh my god. So 
Yeah, so she lifts herself up into the air, intestines dangling below, <laughs> as she soars into the night looking for her next victim. Also, while the Mononongo hunts, it's often accompanied by the tick-tick bird. It's meant to confuse their victim because it's said that the fainter the bird call becomes, the closer the Mononongo gets. Oh, so it's like it's like a weird distraction. It's like, yeah, it's like, okay, so it's maybe it's far, and it's like, boom, and then that's when it swoops in. Nice. Yeah, she's kind of a badass. During the day, the monster takes on a completely different form. It will transform into a beautiful woman. Mm -hmm. She can conceal her true form, adapt for meaningful relationships that can lead to marriage. But most sources say that she only befriends men to eat them. It isn't until the nightfall that she converts into her true hideous self. Her skin changes texture. Her eyes widen. The teeth enlarge and develop fangs. Claws rip out of her fingers her bat-like wings sprout from her back and her lower to- torso detaches in a gruesome fashion. So it looks really grotesque. Like, and violent. And violent. Yeah. It's pretty gnarly. I'm imagining something kind of like the transformation in an American werewolf in London. Ooh, like very similar. Like you can he hear was in it. It's like pain and the cracking and the mm-hmm. love that scene. Once transformed, she will hunt all night until she sees an opening into a house large enough for her sl- for her to slither her super long, thin, tubular-like tongue until it reaches her victim. Ew. <laughs> once, uh, <laughs> once she finds them, the tongue will penetrate the victim through either the nose, ears, mouth, or abdomen. What the mononongle is looking for to feed on, and just, I had to have a moment when I heard this, discarded phlegm from the sick. Oh, what? <laughs> What? I don't know, man. I don't know. She she's she's looking for loogies. For loogies, she loves that. Mm. I don't know why. Got to lap gr- up them gross. loogies. The liver, lungs, intestines, hearts, and fetus are also on the menu for her. So she's very very strange, very gross. So she eats all the meat every kid hates eating. Yeah, fetus is number one. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> The fetus is said to be its favorite meal, so they're always in search for pregnant women. It's super effed up. I mean, as if pregnant women already don't have a lot to worry about, they're like, let's create a monster to scare them even more. <laughs> Just, let's worry about everything. Why do I have a feeling that this was like used by men to somehow ex like put more control on women at the time? Like, oh, like this... how can we make them not leave the house? Yeah, I can't wait to get to the historical part of my story, so we'll awful. get there. Yeah, this obviously poses a problem. So what you should do if your town is being preyed on a Mononongle, there are certain ways you can defeat it. Since the Mononongle can transform itself into a human during the day, you basically have to wait until it's night for it uh, to turn into a monster and find it. Sure. I mean, you can't go around killing women. I mean, this is in Salem. So (laughs) they actually had tactic here. They're like, let's wait. It would be unlikely that you'll be able to witness the transformation, but that's okay because you need to find its lower half of the body anyway. So that, you know, even though you're not there, it's whatever. And let's be honest, who wants to see that? I mean, nobody wants to see it, but <laughs> I guess it's helpful because now you know where the torso is left. But anyway. So like at six o'clock, we're going to try to see the transformation at seven. We're going to go to therapy <laughs> to deal with seeing it. I'm going to need some therapy. Yeah, this part of her torso that she detaches from remains human. Once the lower torso is found, you need to sprinkle either salt, vinegar, garlic, or other spices directly onto the stump. Mm. This will prevent the creature from being able to reattach itself. 
If the Mononongal is unable to reattach itself before daybreak, she will die. Oh. Because her upper body will turn into a human as well. Some say it'll turn into a human or she just can't survive too long without it. Sure, sure. It depends. This is, of course, if you are able to find the lower body. Like I said, uh, the Mononongal is well aware its body is vulnerable. So it doesn't just leave it in. No, she's not like, anyway, whatever. Try to be in a cave or something. Yeah. Okay. So she, she typically, uh, to prevent people from destroying it, she will hide it. And one of the common places is in a banana grove because banana trunks apparently look a lot like human legs. Huh. I I looked up the picture. I kind of see it like they're thick stumps kind of thing, but not too thick, you know. Who'd have thunked it? Who would have who would have trunked it? Um, <laughs> and also, I don't know about anyone else who's listening, but after I read this, I was immediately reminded of the boo hag. Oh yeah. Do you remember when she would like take off her skin? This was uh-huh. epi- episode seven, by the way, guys. And she would leave her skin lying around, and the way to defeat her is to to put salt on her skin because she couldn't put it back on. Yeah. And yeah. it would just like sizzle and fizzle and she would die. Pretty awesome. I like when monsters have weaknesses. Because yeah. Because it means we have a chance. <laughs> we have a chance. <laughs> Another way to defeat the Mononongle is to prevent it from transforming into one in the first place. Mononongles aren't born. They're created in one of three ways. Oh. Yes. And I'm also going to take a sip of my wine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this first one is, if you were attacked by a Mononongal, but she wasn't able to kill you, then there's a good chance you'll tra- transform into one as well. Okay. But this theory isn't as popular. It's like the vampire thing. It's a very vampiric kind of perspective. It just isn't isn't normally the thing because people typically die if they're attacked by a Mononongal. So one, okay. uh, finding a survivor is nearly impossible. And two, a lot of people don't believe it. It's just one of the theories. Sure, sure. The second, which is probably the more popular one, is if a woman wants to become a Mononongal, they need to find and eat a black chick. But not just any black chick. They need to find one that has been birthed from the neck of a Mononongal elder. So it's just very strange. Wait, wait. So you mean like, talking about like a little chicken chick, right? Like a chick. Yeah, sorry. Like a chicken chick. You know, like a baby chick. So, but it can't have come from another chicken because it has to be birthed from a mononongal. And it's, uh, it has to be a black chick, which are not very common so they here. just drop out of mononongals? I guess so, out of their face. All right. Now, every mononongal has a black chick living inside them. So that's something to really also note. So, the, you know, the, you eat the baby and then it grows inside you and it feeds on the organs to keep the chick alive, the chicken alive. And kind of killing the Mononongle at the same time. So this is where theory three comes in. It's very similar to option two. Because, okay, so instead of eating the chicken, an egg of a black chicken needs to be procured. So you just got to find it. I don't. Yeah. I wasn't getting information if that comes from also another Mononongle. But anyway, you place that egg in the armpit, all the while performing a special chant and rubbing a concocted oil on the skin. Once the incantation is completed, the egg will disappear, which is assumed that the body absorbed has absorbed it. it. Um, so I don't know. I don't know where you get this chick like, I, or what you were asking. I, I'm not 100%. So do they like hate chicken out there? Or is there something really noticeable about if a chicken is born? Like just a, we're talking normal chickens here. Ah. If a chick comes out, I've never seen a chicken that was born with like black feathers. But is that a I really think I've bad seen one sign? On, I've seen a... Uh, Assume that's like an omen or something? Uh, well, maybe. 
but I have seen a black rooster before, so I'm guessing there could be a black chicken possibility. I guess I don't really, I don't know. So seen brown. I mean, yeah, white. Seen brown, white, and kind of eggshell color. <laughs> We're getting a lot of white variations here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Okay. Now, yeah, yeah, now yeah. I'm actually curious to read about the. But you had a very, very good assumption there. Like, where did the egg kind of chicken eating? That comes up a little later. Okay. All yeah. right. Let's, let's, you're, you're on it. Trust I'm, me. I'm ready for it. Yes. This process of transformation, though, is not instant. There is a limited time frame in which the newly transformed Mononongo can be turned back into a human. The baby chick that was swallowed needs to be removed from the stomach before it matures into adulthood. And I'm before, sure they have a way of doing that very safely and sanitarily. It's it's wonderful. <laughs> the preferred method is to hang the woman upside down from the tree and then proceed to beat her until she pukes. Yeah, not the choice I would have taken. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, another effective method is to swing her violently until she throws up. So basically just make her feel sick. I guess you can try both. The only thing that I couldn't find information on, and these are just questions that kept popping into my head whenever I was researching, which is what do you do when the baby chick pops out? Because this is not just your normal chicken, right? Like, I don't know if you can, can you just smash it and it's dead? I don't know. I'm, I'm sure you could. Yeah. Try. But, I mean, you can try. You can try. <laughs> And also, what do you do with the woman who wanted to become a Mononongo? Like, this isn't some accidentally performed ritual that she had stumbled on. Well, definitely the one where they put the egg under the arm is is a very intentional thing. Swallowing you... a baby chick is definitely intentional. Oh, unless getting... really hungry. Unless you're really hungry, I guess. And also the first option, which was getting bitten. I mean, I guess you don't have a yeah, choice. Yeah, you can't help that. Yeah, I guess that's true. But I don't know. It's just very interesting, the whole the whole thing. If plan A and plan B, so basically uh, if you're not able to kill her by beating her or or shaking her to vomit, there are other things you can do. Plan C would be all you need is a long, sharp bamboo stick and whittle it down to a sharp spike, find the creature, get close enough, and then ram the stick in her back. So stabbing. Basically, you have to stab it. But here's the thing. It has to be a bamboo stick. It has to be a bamboo stick, apparently. Okay. Okay. And also, it's not like the best method because she's a lot more powerful. So you have to get close. Like, this is like last kind of resort kind of thing. Okay, okay. But let's say everything failed and the town still just can't seem to get rid of this Mononongle. There are preventative measures you can take to ensure that, that you're not the target. One, you can sprinkle either salt or uncooked rice around your house because it prevents her from wanting to land on there. So she doesn't like salt in general. So okay. that's just a big thing. What about, what's up with the rice? Like, who hates rice? I don't know. The rice thing did kind of trip me up. I never saw any other reference to it except for this as a preventative measure. Interesting. Yeah. You can fashion a whip made out of a tail of a stingray. They don't like that. <laughs> The stingrays don't either. I'll the, just have you know. I don't think anyone likes this. So anyway, owning a black cat or crow is helpful because they have the ability to sense the presence of a mononongle. This might be enough for the creature to just not even bother because, yeah. like, it's like an alarm. They don't oh. want it. They don't want to be seen. Now, where did this lore come from? There are parts of the lore that many people, particularly historians and anthropologists, have dissected to find out where it comes from. Like, why does it seem to have these distinct features and why is it in the Philippines? Sure, sure. Yeah. Now this brings me to my historical portion of my story. 
And as I was writing this, I kind of did this like, you know how like you have a transformative, like tra- you're transforming into like a past or you're like. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Well, today we're going to get on Lily's magical Mothman. Because Mothman. Bring us to the past. Because yeah, because the Mothman always lurks in disastrous moments of human history. So that's what we're doing. This vampiric creature first appeared in literature as early as 1582 in Spanish missionary text. However, it's believed that this folklore already existed within the indigenous people. Unfortunately, though, there aren't really anything available for you to prove that because... Oh, it's hard with an orally transmitted... Well, it's orally, but also even anything that might have been written down or just anything would have been destroyed. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Like, you can't talk about it, so people forget. You can't write it down because they don't let you. So the Spanish destroyed their culture. Oh, well, yeah. And let's also point out that they weren't particularly good at documenting everything. Because as far as they were concerned, they were heathens and they were not heathens. practicing yeah. Christianity. Why so would I care? The kooky stuff the, the non-Christians <laughs> believe. Right. So I'm sure they weren't particularly diligent about writing it down well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, But luckily, you know, since humans are pretty resilient, there was some lore and cultural religious information that was preserved orally. So even though they weren't allowed to do it, They still did it. It turns out that before the Spanish colonization, both men and women were seen politically and economically equal in a relationship and in society. So this was before the Spanish came in. All these roles were very respected in the community. Although it seemed, it all seemed great, it was not well received with the Spanish, obviously, and they were prepared to do whatever it took to change that. They indoctrinated Christianity, made sure no one was having sex unless it was to have children, removed women from any significant social roles, all while demonizing their previous status. So, shamans and herbalists were now perceived as witches or another godless creature like the Mononongal. Interesting. Yeah, so Dr. Emily Zarka from PBS Storied, which, by the way, I give full credit to a lot a lot of the historical information I'm talking about right now, also mentions that the Mononongal would have been the creature used to compare and discredit the midwife role. As she put it, it's literally the exact opposite. We went from helping giving birth to eating the fetus. Mm. So it's really like truly demonizing women, like making them evil if they're powerful and you don't they don't want to be these things it's anymore. It's quite awful how often this occurs. It's it's the way. Yeah. It's like how many monsters are derived from this fear of women. Yeah. It's, it's so dumb. It's like any kind of power we have, it's just bad. And turns into this horrible, just disgusting creature. Let's discredit everyone we disagree with. (laughs) Yeah. Let's spread lies, huh? The fact that her preferred meal is a fetus is pretty disgusting, obviously. Now, if you look at pregnancy itself, there's a lot of complications that can occur. And from what I understand, particularly in the first couple of months, it's a fairly common thing for women to have miscarriages, which is super tragic and it is a lot easier for maybe people to process as well that their misfortune is based on a monster versus their own body it's something outside yeah like at, they took it out of themselves outside force. like so it's, it's tra- it can yeah. be comforting there's a lot of theories as to why that whole thing exists but yeah another physical distinct feature of the mononongal is her creepy long tongue which we talked about this anatomic feature <laughs> like, like a mosquito like a hey are you looking at my notes here Oh, are you actually Look, deleting into I, that? Literally, the anatomic feature that may have been influenced by the large mosquito population found in the Philippines. <laughs> oh, gross. Yeah, because mosquitoes and other insects 
have what is called a proboscis, which helps them suck up blood and nectar. So you had, you were already there. Your mind had already jumped to the mosquito situation. And when you think about it, if she doesn't have her legs and she has dangling intestines, at night, she would look like a really giant mosquito because mosquito <laughs> legs hang down like Ew, that. Ew, that's so gross, and it's so true. She's just a giant mosquito. And she likes blood. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't know too many mosquitoes that are looking for fetuses. <laughs> I could be wrong, though. I don't know. That's true. Maybe if they could, they would, but they're too <laughs> little. Now, I wasn't able to find the reason the mononongle would separate itself in half, from, uh, but from a symbolic perspective... Dr. Zarka had a few theories, which I'm going to give yeah. her credit for. Like, cause that's, I never, I didn't read it anywhere else, but she's a doctor and in the field. So obviously she knows what's up. She thinks that it could separate its body because of its sexual organs. So that's another female perspective of it. And I think what, what she was kind of alluding to is that the most important part of a woman is her sexual organs in a lot of cultures, like mm-hmm. her being able to give birth and everything like that. So leaving her body and leaving the only important part that stays human. And then if you don't pertain to the mindset of, you know, only using this body for for childbearing, then you're separating yourself from that and you become this monster hideous thing. So does that make sense? Yeah, it sounds incredibly chauvinistic, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's almost like without yeah. her private parts, a woman is nothing. How awful is that? Sta- oh, that's it's, such a tor- terrible sentence. That was my interpretation. She only said it separates herself from the sexual organs, and I was like, yeah. well, that makes sense. And then that last part was me trying to figure out what she meant. I don't know. So, but that, all of it makes sense. Here's a few <laughs> fun facts about the Mononongle that fun may- Fun fact. Fun facts, more blood. That may have affected today's culture. Some historians believe that homes in rural areas were built specifically to prevent the creature from entering their home. One being the steep roofs mm-hmm. and also having windows specifically designed to prevent perching. So it would have been very hard for a, a bird or anything really that's flying to set, set itself on sure. the, in the window. My guess, this might be like looking too into it, but I think a lot of places that have a lot of rain tend to have pitch roofs. So I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot, you're looking into a lot of things. Maybe it's multi-purpose stuff, but either way. Correlation, causation, that whole thing. Kind of thing. Another social aspect that the Mononongle may have influenced is the common practice of having babies and small children sleep in the middle of the room or between parents. This would have made it very difficult for the Mononongle to reach the child with its long tongue because it likes to eat children as well. Like in in, in a lot of stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's like, it's just like a boogeyman thing. So it's a very kid, boogeyman. Protect the kids. Yeah. yeah. There's also a dish called balut. Balut is a food where a fertilized duck egg is boiled and then eaten out of the shell. So it's like a hard boiled egg, but extra protein. It's a duck egg. It's like a, when you when you crack it open, the baby has developed, like the chick or whatever. Balut is an old fashioned, like really old dish that has been prepared for centuries but when exactly did this practice begin is really questionable. I'm, I'm, I wasn't able to find an answer. We'll probably never know because, again, any literature created by the indigenous people would have been destroyed. And there's a chance that it was much after. Sure. So we, we don't even know. So, wait, this was suggested as possible theory for the origins of the the lore? The lore, because remember, she eats the chick. Okay, so maybe There's was a, it, but was this demonizing that practice as being like don't do it? And that's another theory that it okay. could be because it's like why are you guys eating this? It's gross. Sure, sure. Okay. Only mononongles do maybe that. Maybe people were getting sick from doing it or something. It could have been, yeah, because now I guess you can do it probably a lot more safe ways now, perhaps than before. 
I, I don't know. In 2002, there was a study done by this particular, for this particular dish, like finding out where it came from. Sure. In the article, there was a quote that said, quote, many of my informants expressed strong feelings of disgust at seeing the embryo or catching a glimpse of the developed little chick. After studying the survey responses, I believe that the feeling of the revulsion experienced by many of the sites of the fetus may be due to the idea of ingesting something that is clearly on the verge of being born, end quote. That's, it's it's a appalling idea to it's me. It's very appalling. I mean, as someone who does occasionally eat meat, uh, I would say that there's still plenty of types of meat that like I, I won't eat veal. I yeah, mean, it's I've just got, there's something. I have a problem there's with something, veal and, right? Yeah, anytime a young animal is put through a bad arduous life, I'm against <laughs> it, and I think this is straight up in that. It's realm. one of those things. Yeah. yeah, for sure. The study also mentions that this practice at the time was prohibited in Africa, Europe, and Australia. This was really interesting to me because at first I really did have a gut reaction of disgust, like you just said, especially when there was a picture of it staring right at me as mm-hmm. I was reading about Balut. And I'm like, oh, oh my God, it is so gross. Like you, you saw people eating it? No, well, I saw the, the dish prepared. So yeah. it was, it was. I don't want to see that. And you eat it out of the egg. So it's not even like it's separate. You don't prepare it in a, any other way. It's like fresh out. Like I'm not trying to get too graphic, but. By then, aren't the bones formed enough that that would just be really it weird? Might, I think it might be soft enough because it's not a full, like, it's it's kind of a halfway sometimes. That's so gross. Yeah. Well, here we are. <laughs> Sorry about that, everyone who might be eating at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's, like, halfway through, like, um, uh, like an egg muffin. Oh, like, yeah. Like, on their way to work. <laughs> They're just like, yeah, I don't want to do this no more. Everyone's putting their coffee down. They're like, I don't even want to ingest anything at this point. Yeah, so that's kind of where we are with that. And I think, you know, and I brought it up, obviously, because like you said, where did this come from? Like, why did the baby chick, Mononongle, yeah. there is association perhaps from that. So another fact about the whole balut. Oh, I'm going to stop talking about this soon, I promise. But <laughs> balut is often eaten with certain spices like pepper, salt, chili, vinegar, and other spices. The kind that you're supposed to spray on. Right, course, so yeah. which not coincidentally are exact same ingredients used to defeat the Mononongle. Since the dish has a strong resemblance to the black chick, you know, it's like the whole thing. Uh, people use this also, these spices specifically, to negate any association with the mononongle to ensure maybe you won't turn into one or, oh. or bring any omen. So it's, but it's, that's a lot of effort for food. I, I don't know. Absolutely. It's pretty weird. Now here are some personal stories. There's a mix of opinion on whether this creature exists or not. Sure. In fact, what I've read, it seems that most people, when asked if they're a believer, they're usually saying no. Yeah. Oddly enough, though, there are many stories of encounters. So often people would say no. They're like, I'm not a believer, but I know someone. So it's (laughs) it's one of those creatures like 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 Yorona. Like a lot of people legit believe it because, oh, my cousin and or someone. Sure. You know, kind of thing. And here are some of those claims. In 1992... The Philippines were only a couple of weeks away from announcing their new president and their elected officials. Normally, this would be everything anyone could talk about, except it was overshadowed by multiple sightings of a Mononongle. Really? Yeah, that was terrorizing Manila's? Manila? Yeah, the, yeah. Okay, good. I I just want to make sure. I didn't even look up how to say that, but (laughs) it it looks obvious, but I don't know. Manila's uh, Tondo District. This is very densely populated area, so there were a lot of sightings. Interesting. It's so weird. 1992, dude. 
That's, that's what a little I, giant half woman mosquito thing flying in the sky. Yeah. There's not too many things I could imagine that would be misinterpreted that's what I, as. That's what I'm saying. Like a bird, you're like, okay, that you know, you don't really see the feet often unless and it it's would a crane. Be a lot smaller. It would be a lot smaller. Yeah, the Mananongo's not a, a tiny creature. Yeah, this is pre-drones, man. <laughs> what they actually saw was a UFO. I'm just telling you right now. Or a Mothman. It's just me riding the Mothman. <laughs> Willie's magical <laughs> Mothman. <laughs> Oh, my God. Okay, so let me get into some of the sightings. A Miss Santa Rosa was interviewed, and she said, quote, She attacked me. I was just lucky I was able to get free. I saw half of her body. It was naked. (laughs) She had long, scraggly hair, long arms, nails, and sharp fangs, end quote. Other very similar accounts were recorded as seeing the creature just flying above their house. So there wasn't any other factor than just seeing it. Uh, things started to get really bad because people were legitimately starting to freak out. So, so much so that on May 13th, 1992, a dozen young men accompanied by a news crew broke into the home of Teresita Beronqui, who was then investigated after rumored surfaced that she was a Maranongal. What? (laughs) 1992? We were seven. I know. No, you were six, but. Uh, Still. I mean, we were. That was happening. It's happening. It's happening. At that time. Yep. Oh, my God. The poor elderly woman was <laughs> was visibly shaken when she was interviewed by ABS-CBN television show. Baronki stated that she was on, she was not a mononongo. She was like straight up no as she was interviewed. And that, in fact, she was a victim. She revealed that the mononongo had bitten off her toes, to which she proceeded to take off her shoes and show that she was missing toes on her foot. And talk about a crazy twist is like, I'm not a witch, but I was attacked. <laughs> but by I was attacked. <laughs> the community, however, was not convinced, claiming that she was lying because they were interviewing during the day, which she would have looked like a human. So they're like, well, was this doesn't prove like anything. A beautiful human, though. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe she was beautiful and people were just too scared. I don't know. <laughs> um, so to resolve this accusation, reporter. Caesar Soriano brought a dried tail of a stingray and asked Baronki to touch it on camera. The woman touched it, and as they predicted, she started convulsing and let out a terrible screech. What are you? Are you serious? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I had to do it. I'm sorry. As I was writing this, I was like, "What if my jaw did? just started dropping?" <laughs> I was like, "Wait, what?" No, nothing happened. But, okay, okay. But here's the for thing. For a second, I was like, uh-oh. It doesn't matter what would have happened. People still think that she was a Mononongal. And I think I think that was the point I'm trying to make. Because, like, poor woman. you know what I mean? It's just, yeah, it would have been more <laughs> sensationalized. And maybe she was evil and justified that she was scared to death. But nothing happened. And people still kind of believed it. A lot of people let go. Yeah, see, but, the, the problem is they didn't have the ancient European witch test which you couldn't beat. <laughs> like, the only way to prove you weren't a witch was if you died doing it. And they're like, oh, I guess she wasn't a witch. Yeah. But she's dead. Who cares? Well, you can beat it by being a witch and not dying. But then right. that was proving it. But no one was ever proven. So European here we are. innovation, man. You. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. We're just the worst. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, so this is just, that was a big thing that was going on in the Philippines at that point. Uh, or at least in this in this area. This was very unique because earlier, like a lot of things that I was reading about, a lot of reports usually come from rural areas. 
most people believe that the Maranongo could mm-hmm. only live isolated. So seeing it in a large populated, dense community was just unheard of. Was, yeah, that would have been crazy. Yeah. There have been legitimate police reports where parents claim that the Mononongal had abducted their baby. I don't have those reports, so I wasn't able to conclude whether or not that was true. The baby's just gone. The baby's gone. So either these cases are still open or, I mean, they have different laws, so I don't know what they do with their police reports. I think when that happens, the uh, authorities need to, like, open up some heavy investigation into those A hundred percent, yeah. Because it's like, hmm, I don't believe you. (laughs) I don't believe you. Unless it's 1992, then maybe. (laughs) Most other eyewitness accounts are usually the same thing. They saw one that on their house, they saw it snatch their dog. They heard it cries while it was swooping above. Kind of usual stuff. So yeah. there aren't a lot of concrete sure. stories. You know, like the kind of like the one I told you, like she was ugly and she was naked, stuff like that. But <laughs> otherwise, the 1992 incidents were the bigger ones. That's so insane to me. <laughs> 92. It man. was insane. Uh, like, but yeah. I don't know. Like, wasn't, we were probably at home watching, like, the X-Men cartoon. (laughs) When over in the Philippines, people were accusing this old lady of being a half mosquito witch. Yeah. Basically. My mind is blown. So was mine. in a good way. (laughs) Now, uh, I guess on a lighter note, there are some movies that were done based on the Maranango. Pioneer filmmaker Jose Nep. Nepo Museno made the first Mananango movie called Ang Mananango that was released in 1927. Wow, that's early for Very, any movie, but yeah. Just, you know, movies in general. But before anyone can get excited and go watch it, uh, there doesn't seem to be any more existing copies. Funny enough, there, when I was researching this, like I looked it up, you know, I just wanted to see if I could find any images. Uh, there weren't really any, a lot, or there were, there were some, but there weren't a lot. But IMDb did pop up, and I'm like, IMDb, okay. I don't know how they did this because the movie doesn't exist, but it currently has a 4.6 out of 10. Because <laughs> no, no one's Everyone wa- can't wait to give their opinion on everything. <laughs> the like, number of movies. You didn't even that watch have, this. There's so many movies that have like audience score reviews before they came out. I'm like, critics get advanced screenings, but you Sure, didn't. sure. I don't get it. They're like, I don't like this picture. It's not too surprising that it's missing because the number of movies that have survived from that era, and I'm talking even from Hollywood. And this is, like at, this Hollywood, is before, obviously. You know, World War, any of the world. No, no well, this World this War. Yeah, World yeah, War II, yeah, yeah. World War Two, Vietnam, like all of them. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how little they saved. In fact, a lot of movie studios just destroyed them because the celluloid reels take up so much space, and they're also a fire hazard. So, well, yeah. So they just purge these things. So I can only imagine one not from Hollywood would have even had less of a chance of surviving. Yeah, yeah. The one thing that this movie did do, and it was noted in the uh, that PBS special I was talking about, is. The the filmmaker, he was trying to bring back a lot of the folklore of the Philippines and things sure. like that. So it actually did a cool thing where it resurfaced. It made it okay to, like, talk about the old ancient creatures and all this stuff and, I guess, be scared all over again. I don't know, but <laughs> in a fun way. So I thought that was pretty cool. There have been other movies that have been made since that do depict the Mananongal and other Aswan creatures. So not just that one. Sure. One movie called Ang Mananongal Essay Unit. 23B came out in 2016. It actually looked really good, but I could only find... That's one heck of a title. I know. (laughs) Yeah, it is kind of a mouthful, but I did watch a trailer of it. It looked pretty good. It's kind of like a dark love story. So two people in the same apartment building start to fall in love. 
but there seems to be an obvious hesitation from the female protagonist as we quickly learn that she is some sort of creature of the night. Probably a mononogle. Yeah, it is a mononogle. Yeah, obviously. (laughs) She still hangs out with her love interest, but still commits atrocities at night. (laughs) And so, like, um, in English, so I, I think there might be an English version, but then again, I found this source on IMDb, and you know how they be. Sure. But there, but when I looked online, there is an English title that is called The Woman in Unit 23B. So why bother? Oh, that title sounds really familiar. Ooh, did you see this? Okay, Chase is checking his phone. So looking at the pictures online, mm-hmm. the pictures aren't super familiar, but I that title is incredibly familiar, and I'm betting it popped up on one of our streaming services in the horror section. I hope, and I added it to a list. I literally couldn't find it though, so it's I don't on. Know. It's the it's only listed as Plex, which is actually something that people broadcast themselves, and right. it's Kind of for illegitimate stuff. So we can keep looking for it, we but can, I swear I know that out. name. I really wanted to watch it. It looked really good. And if it if it did have an English title, my guess it's either at least dubbed or it'll, subtitled. It'll be, it'll be subbed for sure. Yeah, I'm guessing. But that's one movie I do want to watch. Um, yeah, let's do that. I'm yeah. excited. Most recently in 2021, an animated show called Tresse was released, which was based off a Filipino comic. It looks okay, but I'm also really biased because it's anime. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a big fan of anime, but if you are and you like horror, you might actually really dig it. It's a Netflix original kind of thing that they adapted from the book, so that's where you can watch it. We got Netflix. Wouldn't hurt. We to can give, give it a, a shot. shot. Now it's not just the Mononongle. That's like a comic. It's like a bunch of things. It, it deals. It's kind of like your creature feature uh, episode. Certain things. So they do other Filipino-based cryptids or nice. or witches or demons and and whatnot. So it's pretty cool. I like the concept. I do like the concept of it. All right, so we need to put these on the list to look at in the next couple of days. Agreed. But that is the story of the Mononongle. Mononongle. Yeah. The ghost that makes you tired. Not really. (laughs) No, it It just straight up kills you. Yeah, crazy half-woman mosquitoes. Done. I love it. You know what I like about this cryptid is that there could be lots of them. It's not like there's one. Because, like, with Bigfoot... The assumption is this one. There couldn't be if it's actually a creature out there because it's got to like procreate and, it's also, and everything. But yeah. yeah, it's also debatable if it is a cryptid though. Because it's like Mothman. There's the Mothman. The no one Mothman. says, "Oh, hey, look, it's one of the Mothmen." Does not happen. <laughs> there's no Mothmen. Yeah. There's Mothman. It's, <laughs> it's not Anchor Lady. Anyway, yeah. So I like the idea that there can be many of these, just like zombies or whatnot. There can be a lot of them, and you can become one. Yeah, and that they're terrifying. So this is pretty cool. I need to see artist interpretations because I'm totally picturing something disgusting. I want to see it's if the, my mind is blown or some of the illustration I've seen online. It's pretty fucking metal. Like it's super cool. <laughs> like it really looks disgusting and kind of badass at the same time. Well, I'll have you know, my imagination is pretty disgusting. So we'll, <laughs> we'll see. You're like amateurs. I can make this worse. <laughs> they didn't even show the blood coming out of her while she rips herself <laughs> apart. Yeah. So. Good story. I like it. Cryptid. A cryptid I've never heard of and one that I think is absolutely fascinating and disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed doing this research. I'm not going to lie. I had a lot of fun. Well, excellent. Well, in that time, you did finish off your glass of wine. So it's time for a refill and we come back from the break. It's time for my story, which I hope terrifies you. (laughs) See you guys in a minute. Okay, everyone. I have my full glass of wine now. And Chase, I think you have a story for me today. I do. And (laughs) it's always hard for you to predict what will actually scare you about this stuff. But I thought this one was 
This one was pretty good and pretty interesting. It's got a few twists and turns that aren't stories I've normally done. I've been on a roll with this stuff. So I discovered this week's story thanks to a YouTube channel called Nightmare Files. You Mm -hmm. sent me a link a while Mm -hmm. ago. Mm -hmm. This guy posts a lot of like stories and he rapid fires them and everything. He's got a good voice and everything. And so I was watching one that was covering a bunch of stories that he believed might have inspired the movie Nope. Oh, okay. Now, I'm not sure if they were his opinion or if he read about these being influenced. I have no idea. It was interesting because one of the stories he touched on briefly was like, okay, I need to deep dive that story because I think there's something there. What intrigued me the most once I started reading into this story was how unique and different some of the little factors were. So (laughs) get ready for this week's end of episode encounter, encounter, encounter. Yay. Today, I'm going to talk about the disappearance of Frederick... Valentich. So I always do pronunciation guides after the word. Oh, sure. And I was about to read it the way I wanted to because it spelt a little differently than that because it spelled like Valentich, but it's Valentich. Okay. So as the title already implies, one of the unique factors here is that the alleged victim has never been found. (gasps) He's gone. Oh, no. Yeah. My nightmare. See, I I was thinking this is what's going to start terrifying you. What's happening? Okay. This sensational tale comes from down under, all the way in Australia. What's up, people? And all the way back to October 21st, (gasps) 1978. Okay, before I was born. Yeah, you were were negative seven and five (laughs) days. Perfect. (laughs) Frederick Valentich was a 20-year-old amateur pilot with around 150 hours of flying time under his belt. I I say amateur because that's apparently not that many hours. Uh, oh. I don't know a lot about it, but also he had a rather rocky history with trying to make a career in aviation at that point. Hmm. His application to the Royal Australian Air Force had been rejected twice, <gasps> according to the Wikipedia, on the basis of, quote, inadequate educational qualifications, end quote. I Maybe just, there was like a test portion or something. There are tests. And no, actually, I, we're going to talk about those later. Oh, here we are. Okay. But yeah, I so don't know. I don't know what their specifications are for aviation, but I do know if you're going to let someone fly around really expensive equipment, you're, yeah. you know, there's there's some, there's some <laughs> I mean, guidelines. Yeah, right. And he apparently wasn't meeting their expectations at the time. Yeah, that's concerning. So I'm going to talk a little more about his aviation failures and, and aspirations a little bit later in... Okay. For a good reason why I'm talking about it later. Cool. Valentich was attempting to fly a Cessna 182 aircraft around 1900 hours or 7 p.m. A Cessna is a very small and light aircraft for any of you who don't know anything about planes. I'm not a big plane guy, but I do know what a Cessna is. Yeah. Um, it is this, It has a single propeller on the nose, and it only holds about four people. So Think of like a tiny. really classic adventure indiana jonesy kind of yeah, plane it, it's it, but it, yeah it's smaller than the ones you saw in the 1920s it is indiana jones ventures but this is kind of like a more modern i think yeah interpretation the, i think it's like the epitome of like hobbyist people who own their own little plane and fly yeah. around like that's what like they if have. they it's were like a Cessna. if they were going to own a plane it would probably be this yeah. absolutely so just imagine a really tiny plane yeah his planned route was from morabin airport and I want to stop for a second because, you know, we said earlier I have my pronunciation guides. This is spelled Moorabin. And for some <laughs> reason, I love that word. When I saw it, I was like, Moorabin. And I was like, that sounds amazing. And then I watched some videos and everyone was pronouncing it Moorabin. And Moorabin. I'm like, you're missing that to you with the two O's. Yeah. So it's just Moorabin. <laughs> so anyway, that's why I have to have pronunciation guides because I will just 
ruin it. You'll go on your own adventure. Exactly. Yeah. Moorabbin Airport is just south of Melbourne, and King Island is about 120 miles southwest of Moorabbin and halfway between Australia and Tasmania. So it's an island, Uh, you know, south. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A place I probably want to go unless it's, like, infested by some spider or something. I know that, that there's like a lot of these islands out there that are like infested. There's specific, there's like only seen on an off island of Australia. You're going to get bitten by this special fucking vampire. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no monsters in this okay. one that I know of. <laughs> yeah. Why Valentich was actually doing this flight is the first mystery of the story. We don't actually know why he attempted it. His official stated reason for the flight was to pick up some friends on Kings Island. However, he told others in more casual context that he was going to pick up crawdads or crayfish, depending on what nomenclature you want to use. Mm. However, later investigations into the incident suggested that neither of these reasons were actually true. Furthermore, it would seem that the airport located on Kings Island was never made aware of Valentich's of Valentich's intended landing that day. <gasps> Wait, so no one knew? He just knew? He was the only one who knew? Well, he said he was flying there and he told people, but oh. no one on the island was told. Oh. And that's something that you do as a pilot. Like, there's going to be, you know, you sure. announce your routes and that you're going to be landing there. They had no idea. No one told them. Oh, that's weird. Although I wasn't able to find out exactly when he took off from Moorabbin, it can be assumed that he was not very far into his flight when he radioed in. At 7.06, Valentich contacted Melbourne Flight Service to report that he was being followed by an unidentified aircraft. Oh, no. He claims to have been at 4,500 feet, or about 1,400 meters at the time. Melbourne Flight Service notified him that there should be no other aircraft in the vicinity. Valentich assured them there was another craft in the area, and it was moving at a very high speed. Okay. Valentich said, quote, it's approaching right now from due east towards me. And then there was silence for two seconds. It seems to me that he's playing some sort of game. He's flying over me two, three times at a time at speeds I could not identify, end quote. The radio responded by asking him to confirm that he could not identify the aircraft, to which he replied, quote, it's not an aircraft, end quote. Ew. He was then asked to describe the object. Valentich mentioned that it was a long shape, had a green light, and it was a sort of metallic (gasps) material. Classic. We all know. It is at this point that Valentich began to undergo engine problems. He said that he was rough idling, and moments Mm. later, a noise described as, quote, metallic scraping sounds, end quote, were heard on the broadcast, and then all contact (gasps) was lost. Oh, no. Yeah. So that's the last anyone ever spoke to him. That's awful. The next four days saw an air and sea search unfold in an effort to find Valentich and his aircraft. The search area was over 1,000 square miles, but nothing was ever found. Mm. Five years later, a piece of aircraft washed ashore Finders Island, which is another island south of Australia and okay. 200 miles east of the intended destination of Kings Island. Okay. The part was identified as an engine cowl flap from a Cessna 182 whose serial number range would have included... Valentich's own plane. An investigation held by the Australian Department of Transport concluded that Valentich likely died in a fatal accident with an unknown cause. Yeah, of course. So let's talk about some theories. What actually happened? Let's look at some of the most 
popular proposed of these theories. But before I do, I just want to mention that we are talking about someone who in most of these scenarios is dead. Mm -hmm. And some of the theories may not be that flattering to Mm -hmm. them. So absolutely no disrespect is intended for the dead on my part. I'm just reading some of their theories. Some theories. Yeah, of course. Yeah, there's no intention of disrespect. It's kind of hard when someone can't defend themselves. Some authorities have suggested that Valentich was simply disoriented during his flight. I'm not lying when I say this part either. They suggested that he got disoriented and was flying upside down. What? Meaning the lights he saw were his own reflecting off of the water. No, get out of here. Yeah, they actually suggested this. He wouldn't be, who couldn't tell that they were upside down? I know, I'm having a hard time with the scenario because, like I said earlier, he had 150 hours of flight time, though that's nowhere near like pro level. 150 hours isn't anything to slouch at. You can tell yeah. when you're upside down. I don't need any hours. of. I know when I'm upside down. My yeah. head hurts. I mean, I understand some things can be disorienting. Like, I've heard that sometimes when people are trapped in an avalanche, they can be upside down and not know it. And I can imagine that's a slightly different scenario. But you're compacted. Everything is yeah, pressure. Yeah, a lot of things are going on. But I highly doubt he's just flying and all of a sudden he's like, oh, I'm upside down. And, like, <laughs> I don't know it. And I'm talking on the radio. I'm totally upside down yeah, right now. Yeah, right. I think this one is pretty hard to I think handle. that one's kind of rude. And this article also suggested that the model of Cessna that he was flying wouldn't have been able to fly inverted for very long anyway. Mm -hmm. And I also found no evidence that flying upside down was something that Valentich was prone to doing, either accidentally or intentionally. It's not like, oh, you know Valentich. He's always flying upside down. Yeah, he's not a daredevil. He's not, like, doing weird tricks or anything like that. Nothing I read implied he was. So just there's a lot of stuff here. I think someone came with theories like, how could I explain the lights? reflecting off the water well he would know if it was below him what if he was upside down yeah. and someone's like go with it good do it it's like it feels like a very insulting way to just discredit someone yeah. so yeah. all right i'd also like to point out one of the things i mentioned is he said that there was a green line on the ufo and hmm. as far as i can tell i mean i'm not a plane or cessna expert they don't have green lights on the top of them that would have been like an obvious thing. Like, oh, you would have seen it. Like, green lights aren't that common. Red lights are common. And yeah, white lights are common sure. on planes. But not a green light. So if he saw a green light, what would that have been if it was his own reflection? That was just something I said. It wasn't That's mentioned a really good in the article, point. but that was what I first thought of. Yeah. So I'm going to say this theory is bullshit. <laughs> I'm on that boat right there. So Now let's go to a, let's go to a skeptical theory that is a little more complicated. In 2013, so this happened, you know, in the 70s. Yeah, this was 1978. In 2013, many years later, retired Air Force pilot James McGaha, if I'm pronouncing it right, Mm. McGaha, reviewed the investigation with author Joe Nickel. Their theory mixes a common UFO explanation with their aviation experience. According to their computer model, Mars, Mercury, Venus, and the star Antares would have made a (laughs) diamond shape in the sky. I know you're laughing. Oh, I'm sorry. Because if there's one thing we always hate, it's when people say, hey, that UFO, you just saw Venus. But this one, it goes a little bit further to say that these four, uh, these three planets and this one star would have made this perfect shape in the sky. And I think Venus was at its brightest point, too. At least looking something atypical for the sky. Okay, so at the very least, they got the... They knew where the where the stars were. Like they're like, okay, if there was any weird thing in the sky that wouldn't have looked normal, a this would have been it. A very bright diamond that would have been on, and it was a clear night right there, 
bright. And in it the was sky. at night, so was, that's it, also it was it was right at sunset, so the stars would have been very visible. Here but when they lost connection, what time was that? Seven ish, and this well, would have been. I guess it could have been in October. Pretty, so oh, it would have been probably sun, dark. Well, yeah, because this was because remember their seasons are reversed. Oh, shoot. so this is actually they're coming out of the winter. So actually, I think at this point. It would have it would have been a lot darker than it is in the northern hemisphere. No, in October. wouldn't this be the spring if they're the opposite? Yeah. So, but it's the days are getting oh, longer. As oh, sure. To okay. Yeah. I don't know for sure, but anyway, you would still see stars, and especially if you weren't over the mainland, you didn't have as much light pollution. Would have helped. Yeah. So they said the diamond shape, which is kind of the way Valentich described these lights, would have you know totally tracked with that. But there's another thing that they suggested happened. They, they weren't just like, oh, he just saw lights. They're like, well, what would have happened to his plane? Well, apparently there's something known as a tilted horizon, which is a weird optical artifact that kind of actually deceives a lot of pilots, and it's well known. Okay. It is when the sun has mostly set, but there's still a glow from the sun on the horizon, um... and it illuminates part of the sky, but it, for some reason, I don't know this because I'm not a pilot, makes the horizon look like it's at an angle as opposed to being perfectly straight. Oh, weird. And what pilots will do is correct because they <gasps> want to keep their plane level with the horizon. Right. So if you do that and it's just subtle, you don't realize that you're actually now kind of going Tilting. into a turn. Yeah. And so that means your trajectory is skewed. And during this correction, you start turning and you slowly start going into a downward spiral. <laughs> Oh, no. This would have been even more likely that this could have happened without him noticing it because really good pilots would notice it if he's spending all his time staring at the these four lights in the sky. Okay. Whatever they are. This theory says they're, you know, three planets and a star. Whatever he's looking at, you know, yeah. As it starts spinning, it's going to look like this thing is above him and hovering in kind of a weird circular fashion. Also disorienting. Also yeah. disorienting. There's it's this- just a mononongle. Well, <laughs> just four mononongles in the yeah. sky. But another thing is apparently this plane's fuel was, it had a gravity fuel system. Mm. And if you start going to the spiral, the slow G-forces that you build up would actually cause the fuel line to not be able to provide enough gas to the engine, which will mm. cause it to start choking, which would have described why he was having trouble with his engine at this time, too. Oh, geez. Okay. And, Damn, there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong. And we're talking about an expert pilot talking about this, saying like, because he knows what the sky would look like when all this is happening yeah. and everything. And he also said that usually once you get too far into one of these spirals, there's nothing you can do about it. Okay. And this oh, isn't shit. an unheard of thing either. It's usually called a graveyard spiral. And this is apparently the exact thing that killed John F. Kennedy Jr. in 1999. Whoa. Because he was a pilot too. And this exact thing happened to him, I think, during the day. And he wasn't busy looking at lights. And it just... And he, and without being distracted, it yeah, happened like, to him. Assuming he wasn't distracted. We don't, well, yeah. yeah. I guess so, so. This isn't like a weird thing to happen. Like it's unfortunate and it shouldn't happen when you have a lot of experience. But he's like, if he was distracted by lights, so you could take this theory as two parts together or only accept one part or the other. Like there was nothing there and he just lost control or he was genuinely distracted and this was unfortunate. And this could have happened yeah. to him. Yeah. What I hate about this theory is that. You know, obviously they're saying he didn't see lights. He yeah. was just seeing planets and stars. But what I do like about it is it, it's a very good explanation for what could have happened to his plane, especially because you're establishing he was still kind of an amateur status. And, and the thing like is that, that, yeah, he is, I guess, like in the technical terms within the field is amateur. But that all that information you just gave me is super new to me. Yeah, me too. And, it's the first I'd ever read of it. And it sounds 
convincing. Like I, I, there's nothing I can dispute this. Yeah, it's it, not like he was flying upside down right. and was confused. Like, yeah, ah. no, that guy can go to hell. The other, this one is like legit. Yeah, and so apparently with some of their math models, because it was a very long explanation, so much so that all the sites talking about it said mysterious crash has now been disproven or oh, okay. So this is something that most people who are looking for a very scientific they're explanation, accepting they're this. pretty accepting of this. But there is other scenarios. Mm. One of the most wild scenarios, this one's so fun, is what I like to call <laughs> the Elvis theory. What? Ma- oh, I know what you're going to say. Okay, go ahead. Many people believe that Frederick Valentich faked his own death yeah. and abduction. <laughs> Now, there are quite a few famous people who have conspiracies around them that they fake their own death. Elvis, Andy Kaufman, even Anastasia and Billy the yeah. Kid, etc. Tupac. <laughs> Tupac. Oh, Tupac. Yeah. Didn't even think of that one. The origin of these theories vary. In the case of Elvis, some say that he was tired of superstardom and being mm-hmm. in the spotlight. With Andy Kaufman, people often cite that he was that he had suggested faking his own death when he was younger and that it would be the biggest prank. Yeah. And with <laughs> Anastasia, it was... To, to, save get away. Her, to save her life yeah. from, you know, all the, the Red Army people who are right. hunting and trying to kill her. Yeah. But all these theories are high-profile celebrity cases that are still questioned by conspiracy theorists. We can't actually prove that no one can actually give evidence that they're still alive other than saying, I still saw them. These are what you call, like, open-ended conspiracy theories. Sure. But are there cases of people who faked their own death that we can prove? Mm. The answer is yes, there is. Because, yeah, who? because we have caught quite a few of these guys. Oh, like convicts? Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. But there okay. are people who faked their own death, were getting away with it, but then got caught. Oh, fun. So John Stonehouse was a member of the United Kingdom's Parliament. He faked his own death back in the 70s, and it was suggested <laughs> that he wanted to escape some shady business ties and live a low-profile life uh, with his mistress in Florida. Oh. Wow, that's a twofer. Yeah, sometime afterwards, he was found out, sent back to the UK, and served some prison time. Yeah, (laughs) and his wife. A common thread with people who fake their own death often have to do with massive life insurance policies. Oh, that makes sense. I I actually, oh my God, that's so weird. I just saw recently in Unsolved Mysteries where they talk about someone who is theorized that they brought their mom who had died and then pretended like it was an accident i don't know because the insurance worked that way mm-hmm. and collected the money and the the guy disappeared i don't know it's like this wild fucking story point being is i believe this one <laughs> i mean it's a possible one because people will go far absolutely for this yeah so igor vorotinov had a two million dollar life insurance policy that was paid out to his family in 2010 after mm. his alleged death However, the FBI discovered he was still alive after receiving a tip that led them to recent photographs of him on his son's computer. Oh, my God. <laughs> so his family, like, knew okay, he was so, still alive. Oh, man. Yeah, they, that was a bad secret. I wonder if that was they would be prosecuted because they're, uh, you know, aiding a criminal, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, they use the money, so I'm pretty sure they're Oh, liable. that's true. If they did use the money, you're correct. Yeah. yeah. Another man, William Groth or Groth actually staged his own murder to receive a million-dollar life insurance policy. Pretending to be his own murderer, he called the police to tip them off (laughs) as he laced the crime scene. Oh, my God. Thankfully, professional forensic methods helped find inconsistencies, and the murder was proven to be a hoax. And it turns out, at least in his favor, it's not illegal to fake your own death. Oh, my God, really? However, insurance fraud is illegal. Okay, So he... He had to get. He got punished for the insurance fraud, but not for calling the cops and faking his own death. I thought 
it you I feel like you would at least in the states I think you get like a fine if you call in a false police Wait, report. Yeah, wasting that time, time yeah, but and energy I, or something like that. I think that. at some point they're like you know like just he's go gonna away. he's gonna have to suffer for the yeah. insurance insurance fraud is a really bad he's getting crime. his yeah comeuppance. So why would Frederick Valentich fake his own death? He wasn't famous. He didn't have a string of debts or law troubles behind him. He didn't have a life insurance policy. Well, the evidence for his survival are that his planned route took him near Cape Otway, which was still on Australia's mainland. However, his aircraft was not visible or plotted on the radar on Cape Otway, suggesting Mm. he wasn't near that area. Furthermore, an undocumented light aircraft was reported to police as having landed somewhere between his point of origin and Cape Otway. Hmm. But what was his motivation? Perhaps it was to escape. As I mentioned earlier, he was denied entry into the Royal Australian Air Force based on his lack of qualifications. But he was also racking up a long list of warnings and violations while he was flying. Oh, no. Right? Yeah, he, he was not a good pilot. He he had a warning for flying in restricted airspace and two warnings for flying into clouds blindly, which was under investigation with the possibility of prosecution. To make matters worse, he had failed 13 commercial license examinations, five of which were second attempts, and three of them were just the month before he disappeared. Okay, so this is just looking really weird. It's looking bad on him because it's like, dude, you might not be able to do this. And so he was struggling with becoming a pilot. He obviously really wanted to be a pilot. He cared about this. Yeah. He was failing, so maybe he was like, I need a way out. Sure. I think it's a good motivation to disappear. It wouldn't have worked for me. I'm not going to disappear because of that. But for some people, it might be, especially if this is your whole life. I guess if, like, also, yeah, if this is all-consuming and you don't really have any ties, like, if you're not married, you're no, you're, your family is wherever the hell, like, you don't care, maybe this is a good way to just start over. Absolutely. Yeah. So if he faked it, why UFOs? Now that's <laughs> that not, is a good question. But that's not that far out of left field either, because okay. you got to learn a little bit more about this Valentich guy. Oh no! When interviewed after his disappearance, Valentich's father told authorities that Valentich was an outspoken believer in UFOs. He even went as far as to say that Valentich had mentioned that he was terrified at the prospect of being attacked by UFOs. Hey, man! Sometimes people get followed like once you're abducted once or see them there's been a lot of reports where you're like a lifer i know but it was this just proves it was on his mind he was scared of it it's something he thought about so it suggests it would easily come to his mind as an example yeah he was doing bad as exams so maybe he wasn't gonna be the best person to come up with a complicated scenario he's like i like ufos <laughs> i think UFOs i like you yeah i think ufos are a good thing i'm gonna have a whole ufo abduction or, or attack experience yeah everything like that i guess so plus maybe he thought the ufo aspect might muddy the waters during an investigation make it a little easier for him to get away with it and maybe like there's gonna be a lot more drama like people being like no it was just a ufo don't question this scenario or absolutely something. yeah that makes sense i see it And then there's one last question to this theory. Did he fake his death to escape to a different life or did he commit suicide? And he used this as a way to either gain importance to his story or hide that he was committing suicide or anything like that. That's super depressing. (laughs) I mean, it's so sad. Because if it was fake, was it fake so he could get away or was it fake because he was like, I want my death to be a spectacle, you know? 
So, or just, I mean, that's true. Like, he's like, you know, if I'm going to just end it, I might as well have a good time. I, I'm not saying that it, any of it is a good time. I agree. But it's super sad now that you say <laughs> it. Like, <laughs> this is bumming me out. Well, according to the Wikipedia article, quote, interviews with doctors and colleagues who knew him virtually eliminated this possibility, end quote, that it was suicide. Okay. Although I would like to say that our views on suicide are a little different than they were in the 70s. And even sure. before that, uh it's become less of a taboo to talk about it and embrace mental health issues and awareness more now than it was then. Oh, so yeah. It's, it's one of those things that might have been difficult for them. How did they rule it out? Would it have been ruled out today in the same circumstances? And then there's also the thing that a lot of people who commit suicide, celebrities and people we know like that, oftentimes it does come as a shock because no one was expecting it. So right. interviews don't necessarily mean it's not what happened. It's just, it wasn't obvious that that was what the issue was. Sure. So. That makes sense. We'll take that with whatever we got. So if it wasn't suicide <laughs> and he did try to escape to another life, I should mention that if he were alive today, he would only be 64. How's that? And that's still young enough for it to not be revealed. These sorts of secrets are the type. That's of, true. These are things that, you know, people only do it like on their deathbed or it's revealed by family members after they die. Or when they die, like, I don't know, there's some. Something gets discovered. In their house. They're in like, the wait will. a minute. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 64, you know, without a major illness or not, it's still pretty. That's that's retirement age. Yeah, that's There are people, people who are still working at that age. So yeah. I have a feeling that if he is still alive and it is going to come out, it's not going to be for 10 or more years from now. Right. Like, if he's still alive and it's fake, well, it won't come out. If I'm out still alive, I'm going to remember this. I'm going to be like, I knew it. That, that guy. <laughs> yeah. And then there is the final theory, the exciting one, the one that everyone is waiting for, mm -hmm. the one that inspires fear. <laughs> he was attacked by a UFO. That literally, like, even though I was anticipating it, it still gives me chills when you say it. So, it's, it freaks me out. The green light that Valentich reported is often cited by UFOologists as kind of like the big giveaway that suggests that some of these other theories are wrong. Mm -hmm. The planet slash star wouldn't have been green if he was flying upside down. He still wouldn't have seen the green light. They're holding on to the green light. I see. I don't know quite know what to do with that. You know, it, it could be a big thing, but they're saying that is that is the only that thing that I can come up with with the green light. And this is super I don't know if this just happens in certain areas or whatever, but don't you remember like at sunset, there is the burst of green light. Yeah, the green flash. The green flash. I'm not saying that's what he saw, but I'm very- Could have given a slight green haze to things maybe. Yeah, the, the temperature, this everything was like aligned for a green hue. Again, I'm usually never playing the skeptic, but I'm surprised you never mentioned this because that tends to be a thing. Oh, yeah, I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't even think about that. So let's say it is an alien. The question is, did the aliens abduct him or did they attack him? Because they did actually find a piece of Cessna that they said could have very and well been five years later. That's the only thing that I find. I don't think he was faking his own death unless he was like, I'm going to fake it and then accidentally died. But the finding the piece of a plane is never a good sign. No, it's never, <laughs> it's never a good sign. Yeah. So, you know, we usually hear about alien abductions, but an alien attacking, that's still a little weird. Yeah. But That's, there's one oh. more saucy piece to the alien oh, story. okay. And it's super intriguing. A plumber named Roy Manifold was apparently near Cape Otway Lighthouse at the time of Valentich's disappearance. And he was taking photos. <gasps> no. I wasn't able to find any of these photos online because I wanted to look at them. But according to a group called 
the ground saucer watch, which is out of like Phoenix, they've seen and analyzed and they put it through their computers and whatever. I mean, they know how to use Photoshop. Big deal. Sure. <laughs> they say he has multiple photos showing an object leaving the water at high speeds with a vapor exhaust residue oh. at the time of Valentich's flight. Okay. Now, later interviews with this manifold guy corroborate the green light. He said there was a green light on it. However, initial interviews with him made no mention of a green light. And so they think that it could be an example of revisionist history. Like, you know, we're used to suggestion. We've talked about it, yeah. Over years, when you've heard the story a lot of time, then it can become a green light and you even remember it as a green light. So who knows specifically about that? What I found interesting, though, was that none of the scientific and skeptical explanations even mentioned this guy. And this guy may or may not be credible. And the fact that I can't find his photos could be a problem there. And I get it. But we can at least acknowledge the fact that there is this one little piece of evidence suggesting something bizarre was seen in the area. throws a wrench, you know. It makes it fun. Yeah. But what you want to do with that information, because we don't have a scientific analysis, I can't see those images. I can't look at them and make my own decision because... Maybe they didn't see anything. Maybe it was dumb. Maybe it's totally fake and you see a finger in front of it. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> or it's a really compelling photo where you're like, wow, something weird was happening in this area. So I'm going to leave that decision Ooh. up to you guys. Whether or not you want to say it was totally aliens or he saw planets and just started spinning out of control. <laughs> That's what I do when I see planets. And then there's the other question. Whether or not there was a UFO, is he even still alive? Because if he faked his own death, did well he do done. it to stay alive? If he was abducted by aliens, is he still alive? We don't know. Okay. He's never been seen since. For my own sanity, I'm going to say he faked his own death because I'd like to believe he wasn't trying to commit suicide and then he was getting away with something just because he wants to start over. And the biggest reason that aliens are not abducting people for life. Like, I, <laughs> I, I need that peace of mind that, you know, if, and I'm not saying getting abducted and dropped back off is good. But the, the 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 fact that he could still be alive on some ship is just the worst. It's thing. horrifying. It's the worst. I can't. He's being used to like I don't know incubate alien babies. <laughs> God, please help me. No, I that can't happen. So that can't happen. So this poor young pilot disappeared years ago, and all the theories suggest a lot of different things that could have happened to him, and most of them are not pleasant. None of it is good. Except for the fake death thing. Yeah. All we know is he is missing. Yeah. And presumed oh. dead. So, right. but I thought it was an interesting one because I thought the theories were kind of a little bit more all over the place. And yeah. Anyway, so that's my story for today. Ooh, missing pilot. That's horrifying. Either way. <laughs> Thank you for that, Chase. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, that, I, I don't know. I think, I don't know. Personally, these two stories today have gotten me so hyped up. It could also be the whiskey earlier. Either way, I'm having a good time. And both from the Southern Hemisphere. Look at yeah. that. We're far Ayo. away from England this time. Hello. Don't worry, we'll get back to you one day, England, but we hit you hard, so we yeah. got to gotta take a break from that. Yeah, we really deep-dived. <laughs> All right, well, I think that brings this episode to a close this week. Just a reminder, next week after our stories, we're going to discuss the new Hulu movie, Prey, that's a... a it's a horror science mm-hmm. fiction movie. so Which is w- amazing, by the way. It, yeah, so if you want to see it before we talk about it, just try to check that out in the next week. Thank you guys for joining us, and I hope some of you were pleasantly creeped out by the stories this week. If you have any comments, questions, or personal stories you want to share, drop us a line at hotwpodcast at gmail.com. 
For those of you listening to us at work or while you're driving, we hope you have a great day. And for those of you that are drinking, we hope that tomorrow isn't too rough. And for those of you listening to us because you had too much fun last night, don't worry, because the best cure for a hangover is sphere.